It is Saturday, the 14th of August, 2021, and this is episode 400 of Digital Outbox. Welcome to episode 400. Yes, 400 of these things in the can. I'm sure we've got tons of special stuff lined up for episode 400. I am joined by Ian to tell us all about those special anniversary features. We have none. Oh, okay, cool. (laughs) (laughs) We've got some spy scandaling. I remember remember at one point I made an effort. We did do one bit where we even did sort of um, bleepers, didn't we? And blooper rolls and things. We did a recap of things and stuff. And do you mm. remember this? Maybe I should have mm. dug out like the, I'm super excited, which I still get. <laughs> super excited. Still get slugged about. Episode one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can't even promise you uh, exciting and scintillating news stories today. We are talking about, yep, spying and hacking and uh child abuse and just kind of things that seem to be around technology at the moment yay go technology um but let's start with that spying it's actually a slightly older story now given that we've been a little while since our last episode but um this was the the kind of uncovering or the the whistleblowing that um some smartware developed by an israeli firm um nso group had been found on something like 50,000 phone numbers um, of people from uh, activists, journalists, lawyers, uh, politicians. So the kind of things that you don't really, well, they certainly don't want all their communications intercepted. And this was software that allowed um, that hack to collect together SMS information, uh, emails, photos, sort of anything, and record, and even turn on turn on your camera and your audio device. So, this software was supposed to be um, only sold to credible, non, uh, you know, uh, you know, good uh, company or sorry, good government sort of level people, um, and really shouldn't have been so widely used um, as this. So it kind of caused. A right old stink, especially, you know, in the community. And it, none of it's sort of truly come out as far as exactly who's been um, uh, sort of been hacked. But equally, um, there's there's no denial that it has spread wider than the anticipated distribution list. Yeah. And I think this is always the um, this is why people get excited about backdoors and, and mm. companies building backdoors, because it's allegedly only for, you know, I don't know spying or you know for for state kind of spying or it's or it's or it's for law enforcement or some there's always that so their sell their selling point was it was for law enforcement and intelligence agencies from countries with good human rights records yeah but who may who makes the decisions on who those companies and And i think that's the problem when you when you when you start off doing something it's like then who's then vetting that so it's fine putting out the pr and saying that's your stated aim but if you look at it, there was I mean, 180 journalists were also on the list. There was politicians. There was heads of state. Again, there was a bit of a sniff round. Is that list accurate? Is it? Is it been? Is it been a list of contact details from an infected phone? Not necessarily everybody on the list has been infected, but there was evidence of you know there was two Hungarian investigative journalists had 
the spy were on their phone. Um, there was uh, a Mexican journalist who, um, you know, unfortunately had been murdered, you know, the month before, and his contact details were on the list. So there was a no- the, the the NSO sort of denied that it was you know all these people on the list did actually have it installed. There was also some speculation, or in fact, there was you know they couldn't find it on these devices because they were often devices that had been either wiped mysteriously or <laughs> or or had been subsequently re- you know something else was using their phone. But what what more? As, I guess as worryingly, the the vulnerability was via you know sms whatsapp iMessage, and, and then other sort of vulnerabilities into the phone so there were different ways of getting into the phone uh and potentially then for different ways of getting out of the phone when needed but yeah the nso uh deny uh that it's as widespread and they say that list is is not wholly accurate um but nevertheless there's there's enough tie-in here that makes everyone think that there's you know there's something to be answered for and something for us to think about and exactly as you say it ties into all of that what you know, when you don't have an end-to-end secure phone, when you do add, add backdoors, when you do allow agencies to get into phones, which you can understand in crime situations is very important, um, you know, it also opens up to misuse and countries, governments, uh, you know, including our own, have proven many times before that they, they, are not, they can't be trusted to do things legally fully all the time. And on, on, on the Pegasus spyware itself, as you say, it was, um, you know, messaging apps was the easy vector in, um, including on the latest versions of iOS and Android. So it wasn't like, a, you know, you had to be on a three or four year old device and all, all that good stuff. But it, it could harvest everything. I mean, SMS, email, phones and videos, contact, it could record calls. Yeah, it's kind of like a root level access, yeah, wasn't it? It sounds it was, like that was, kind of, you know, a, level of thing. I mean, very sophisticated. Absolutely, uh, and clearly, you know, clearly this, you know, this Israeli company was making a lot of money, you know, from governments around the world for this. We've also seen China um, accused of sort of escalating their cyber attacking uh, sort of vectors. So there was a Microsoft Exchange server vulnerability which uh, China was known to be using and exploiting, but in a kind of uh, relatively mild way, as in targeted and, I say mild, targeted and specific. But it was sort of, Microsoft said they were going to come out and patch this um, vulnerability. And there was a, a quick explosion of the use of this vulnerability to try and expand its sort of getting its fingernails in where it needs to. And, and you know, governments from around the world are sort of, jumping up and down saying we've seen this it seems to be originating from china and we see what you're doing and china obviously denying it but i think it's a i think it's a it's just a thing now that it is a massive area for you know national governments and if you don't think that we're doing it then i think it's naive and if you don't you know russia are certainly partaking and and all you know we're all looking at each other and this 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 sort of cyberware vulnerability is is it's certainly the new frontier in, you know, cross-continental, I guess it's acts of war in a way. Um, certainly it's newfound and it's cyber warfare. But nevertheless, there, as I was listening to a show the other day, that there was a, a sort of ex-hacker, if you like, very successful one in the past that had gone to jail and all sorts. Of, I said, that's not very successful then, is it? But, <laughs> <laughs> but he, he, he said, look, I'm not worried about, you know, Mildred's email address being taken what I'm worried about is that hacks are so sophisticated nowadays that you you know maybe someone will get into a nuclear bunker someone will be able to 
you know every everything is now connected in some level uh, and and the, the the attacks are so sophisticated that you get the man in the middle with a phone that's already been compromised and suddenly you you know you can start gaining you know you have a a video recording of him typing in the nuclear codes you know he he, he, he said that's what i'm worried about he said you know, I'm not worried about the sort of low level stuff. I'm not even he said he's not even worried about corporations being having their ransomware attack. It's just this fundamentally getting to the roots of what makes a country run, especially the military complexes and and hackers being able to get in there. And we saw with the nuclear um, issue, you know, the nuclear um, virus that went into the Iranian centrifuges that you know th- this is incredibly sophisticated stuff and government organized. And, and that's where the worry is, really. <sighs> And the usual mantra of just patch it and keep up to date is is fine, but quite a lot of the Microsoft own Exchange servers were vulnerable to this. They were not keeping their own Exchange servers up to date because it's, you know, you you've chuckled at it before about you know enterprise you know software and you know keeping things up to date and it should be straightforward. It does get incredibly difficult when you're starting to manage thousands of devices and getting into that place of. You know, the amount of patches we see from Microsoft and other uh, companies and just keeping that, that pace is challenging. And even if you do keep up, there's still, it's still there's a tick there's a still a scheduled tick to Absolutely. it. As in there's zero and, 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 and even if you were up to date with the massive you know, the most recent patches, you still have zero day vulnerabilities, which is clearly these Israeli firms that do build this software, which is, you know, they they make an awful lot of money out of that industry. They know about a lot of vulnerabilities that are not released they are not re- divulged to these companies they're in their best interest to keep those secret and whilst they try and only sell those <laughs> uses to big companies big organization it does mean the knowledge is out there beyond the operating system and beyond apple and beyond google as to what's going on and how they're breaking these pieces of software apple has uh, started to work out how can it still retain its um, security pledges, its data privacy pledges to users, whilst also allowing them to monitor for, um, starting with child sex abuse material on their iCloud services. Um, And they've come up with a solution whereby they will be monitoring locally using effective hashes of images so where you can hash you know a a string which means that you can see a fingerprint of that text or image whatever you happen to be hashing um they've found a way of hashing images so that it doesn't necessarily have to be the whole image the image can be altered in certain ways but it can still identify that this image is one of the ones that's on their banned list Uh, and in that way they're hoping that they can scan someone's image folder via these hashes without actually physically having access to their images Uh, and then the second layer of that is if if someone contravenes that scanning or the scanning identifies to a certain degree or a threshold level they will then allow additional sort of access to that account to then do some manual intervention and manual checking so they're trying to using algorithms and clever tech work out how can you initially protect someone's content from being scanned but identify when there's some material there that shouldn't be and then work out secondary how do we then use that data to to actually allow you know uh, law enforcement to get involved uh, yeah this is a really complex topic you know and obviously it's it's a really sensitive topic as well because they're, they're trying trying to do the right thing. Nobody wants to see child sex abuse material or CSAM as it's become, you know, as the acronym that's that's used. 
nobody wants that on, you know, nobody wants to be seeing anybody doing that or sharing that material or I'm sure Apple and other tech companies don't want that material on their servers. You know, that is, that is you know, a challenge. This is, it's unusual. I mean, the reason I said it's complex, so Apple put, put out two messages or, or announced two features at the same time because it was all around protecting children. And the one that I think is not as controversial is um, they're going to be, I think it was for under 13s. Um, if somebody sends a, an image on iMessage, they're going to, um, so they're going to use machine learning. They're going to uh, blur that out and send a notification to the parent. Um, and if you're between 13 and 18, um, I think it was a, a blur out, but allow, allow you to unblur it and no notification. And in most cases, that seems to be accepted and that's them trying to protect you know, the child who could get abuse from anybody. You know, that that's that's part of the trouble here. Um there has been some concern from the, the LBGT community around, you know, if it's machine learning, they've seen in the past where some of I guess some of their images have been seen to be pornographic. And we've seen it with Facebook as well, where, you know, somebody breastfeeding, you know, there was a whole you know, I don't even know if that's still the case. I know there was a, for years they kept on buying images of a mother breastfeeding saying that was pornographic and it's clearly not. So it's a difficult subject when it's machine learning and you're relying on a computer to make that determination. But that, but that's one bit of this announcement was around iMessage and that seems to be the one that is like, okay, that's, get what you're trying to do here. The second one, the reason, and, and again, Apple, it's unusual. Apple have really dropped the ball around the PR on this because this was announced, I think, two weeks ago, and they've had four follow-up. Um, here's another go to. Here's some frequently asked questions. Even Craig um, Federighi did an interview last night. It's just you know, it's like it's like four goes at trying to land this because it's kicked up such a fuss. And the reason is so 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 right now, on their servers they do scan for this, so they're already scanning iCloud photos at the server level. So what this is doing is, I think you mentioned the, this hash. So it's basically there's a, there's a there's a machine learning cryptographic hash generated against an image, and they are matching with the hash held by and the company name or the or the not the company name but the actual um, organisation is the National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children. So NCMEC. I don't know how to pronounce that properly, but it doesn't matter. So they're doing this hash check. And if that hash check matches, you basically have a voucher applied. There's some voucher that's created that says that somebody's got an image. And they've only just confirmed yesterday because they said it'll be a, 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 a number of these will have to be generated before they'll then investigate you and then inform the, the you know, after that investigation themselves, they'll then inform the law agencies. But it's 30, so it's quite a number. That have you know these vouchers have to be generated before that they'll then go and investigate. But the reason it's caused controversy is, you know, you want you want to see tech companies doing more about this, but it's only going to do this if you turn on iCloud sharing. Yes, so that because I guess because the iPhone is yours and the iCloud service is theirs, so they manage that service. But it is running all the time on your device, so they are generating this hash all the time and, the, and this is mm. a controversial bit so who's policing um, the National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children 
how do you stop, um, say, a government organization or a government? It's only in the US at the moment. That's the other thing we should add. It's only yes, in the US. Yeah. But how do you stop a government then saying, well, I'm going to put some, um, I'm going to seed some images into that database that is for terrorism or for we want to find this particular you know person and mm -hmm. and it then matches the hashes because they're, they're all generated so it's not and that's the this is the so people have been calling it a back door and it's not really a back and, door. and again like like we said earlier when national organizations have the chance to cherry pick and so sweetie jar is open they do do it we saw it with the uh i can't remember what it was but they were I think it was on the internet banned uh, website list that we had in the UK. Suddenly, you know, um, you know, government anti-government organisations were added to the list when it was all supposed to be around pornography. But there were other sites that made that way Absolutely. onto the list and well, were blocked and banned in the same way. And I think there was a lot of LGBT sites. Not a lot, but there was a handful were blocked as well. That that was all around helping children through, you know. Clearly, and I don't mean children as in five and six year olds. It's like, no, that that kind of fifteen, sixteen, seventeen year old, but they're still classed as a child, yeah. and they were they were banning that kind of content. So it gets there's, there's always there's always graders, and this is this is where Apple. I, I guess in some ways I can applaud Apple. They've come out and said they're doing it because other organisations, so your Facebooks and Googles, are already doing this, but they're not yeah, disclosing yeah. how they're doing it or what happens. So Apple have come out and said, here's what we're doing. But it's kicked off this threat of you're generating a backdoor potentially on my device. They've also said that if a if a, a government asks them to do more than purely look for CSAM material, they'll say no. And I'm like, well, I don't believe you, Apple, because <laughs> because because China, although you've clearly said you won't share material that's been backed up in your service with America, in China they don't own where the iCloud data sits. It's the only country in the world where Apple's iCloud backups doesn't sit in an Apple server. So how, I guess, how, like you say, are, being... Are Apple, if, just, if Apple, are Apple really going to stand up against China where that's where all the manufacturing takes place? Are they really mm, going to and, drop and that And they've market? proved before that they don't really stand up, nor does Duke Google. They don't really stand up against it. No. Um, uh, yeah, <clears throat> I think step one, at least they're being open and they're saying what's going on. I don't know how you come up with a threshold of 30. I don't know how you do that, I, but you know, <clears throat> it's hard work. But um, I wonder if it's all about false positives because there is... I imagine it's, yeah, it's, it's working out what is the minimum level, which you could think that's not a false positive anymore. Yeah, so there's a, yeah, there's a, there's yeah. a if you look at the facts of release, there's a whole, there's like a one in a trillion chance that you yeah. might be false flagged with one photo a year. So they're saying, and I guess they've done some, and, and again, I guess like the organisations at the EFF, they're up in arms around this because this is basically this is basically tech companies now saying we're policing you. And, mm -hmm. and there's another bit to this. So we mentioned about you have to turn on iCloud sharing. So if you don't, it's almost like saying we're, but we've got a method where we could be catching people, and we're not willing to do it. And it's that mm. it's that fine line between what's a what's a privacy threat, and what's a privacy invasion or what's protecting privacy it's your device it's you can do with it with you what you want but we've got technology that right now could be catching people but we have chosen not to and it's a it's a really it's a really difficult one to wrap your head around what 
where's the right side of the line? Yep. Yep, agreed. Uh, and I don't think it's not just Apple suffering this. Other, you know, we're seeing it all over the place. And, and you know, we're coming on to now talk about Instagram and they've been criticized in the past for the way, the, you, you know, young people access and use their services and the, the damage and harm it can cause to young people. Well, <clears throat> if you're under 16 now, um, your account will be private by default, whereas before they offered you a choice. Um, and anyone under 13 is going to be pushed towards using their under 13s app so there's a specific children's instagram app which again adds that parental oversight and um, uh, decision making so instagram were you know they they were part of all sorts of sort of governmental think tanks and and in uh inquiries and all those kind of things as to what they do and we're seeing now the output of what they are trying to do to try and protect younger um younger people younger adults and children in, in this arena of the where we you know we're clearly seeing harm and, and distress um, and how do you solve that uh yeah and so say the first step for them on the under 16s is to say make it private but as they've said you know audibly and and you know in the past we there's nothing we can do to stop someone telling us they're 16 you know there we don't have for a child a date verifiable way of proving that they are over or under 16 so lots of kids do choose to just create an account that says they're over that age to re re remove these you know stuff so if you're if you're a young, young child and, and what you really want is to create an instagram following a private account is not the way to do that <laughs> you know that, that you're not going to that so if that's their desire and that's how they want to take their 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 online persona then they're certainly going to be looking for ways of getting round of this. Uh, the, the date thing, it, it, it's, it's weird. I don't know why, it only, but it's only when you were talking about it there, it's just triggered the, you know, when I was a kid watching, you know, 18 films and clearly I was under 18. You know, you'd go to the video rental store <gasps> and you'd... Lock him up. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but, the, but the article here it's from the BBC talks about there's an upcoming online safety bill, which is going to put the onus in tech giants. And I'm sure... This is what's driving Instagram to react. They don't want the policymakers to tell them what to do. They're trying to get ahead of it. So for all we know, Apple are in the same place. They're getting talked around with, you know, with that, you know, child abuse material. And rather than a government saying you must do X, they're saying, well, here's how we think we're we are smarter at doing it than what your policy will tell us to do, which will put us in a bad place in another area because it's. Well, oftentimes the policies actually that come out. Uh, go completely against the functional aspects of exactly. their service and, and and can't be achieved and therefore they try and come up with ways that can be achieved but equally you need a bit of the carrot and the stick don't you so you, we'll you see what the stick comes out to be um because they've also released information around their new anti-harassment tools uh, called limits and ultimately it allows you to limit things like it stop people uh, who aren't following you from replying stop new accounts from being able to interact with your account the idea being that if you are in a period of intense scrutiny or you're suddenly coming under a barrage of attack, you can limit your account so that it blocks those uh, comments and it blocks those interactions and you don't have to see it and uh, suffer it in a, um, yeah, see it and suffer it. Uh, and, and this is sort of in response to these sort of high, you know, people coming out like, like the, the England footballers and saying, Look, I was subjected to the most um, monumental amount of abuse. <laughs> Uh, Instagram have come out and said the algorithms we were using at the time were incorrect and did not block some of the things that they should have been blocking 
But here also are some tools to allow you to stop that abuse being received at your end. Now, that's, you know, there's that side of it, which is great. You can limit what you can see. But I guess the biggest question is, why the hell do we see so much abuse and <laughs> on the social media platforms? And what is how do we fundamentally cure some people's hate-filled brains? But I guess you can't do that. So this is a way of protecting the end user. Um, the, only, the only thing I'd say is, you know, even if you don't receive a threat, doesn't necessarily mean that threat doesn't exist. That's the problem. No. Um, I, I mean, you're right to call out this. this I mean, the, the tool's been developed for a while. I think it was in... in I think there was some some bit of evidence of it well before all the football you know incidents that we saw through the summer. I mean, it was a great moment last night. So Brentford, Arsenal, and, and Bukayo Saka came on Arsenal player, and ninety nine percent of the Brentford supporters you know just stood up and cheered them on, which you would you you would never you know the same happened last week you know in a friendly Tottenham Arsenal friendly and they did the same. So Tottenham supporters you know supporting the Arsenal player just to say it, it's it's a minority. And when I was watching the yeah. game, it's probably I don't know five or six were booing him whenever he touched the ball, you know. So it's but but drowned out by the vast majority. They're saying, and I, and I think that's the problem with social media. It is a small minority, but they've got such a powerful yeah. voice because it just drowns out. There's there's more people that you see posting negatively than posting positively, you know, and that's just or, or certainly and certainly you, we don't hear about the positive side no. of things uh, as much as we. I mean, certainly social media rightly is under the spotlight because it's having an effect on society which is not known and, and isn't fully understood and therefore it's it's always the same with new technologies you you have a period of nervousness and working out what's right and wrong and, and we're definitely going through that with social media now but like you said we don't you know the, the voice of the negative gets amplified by the media as well uh, and therefore you don't hear these positive stories and and maybe as you know uh you know right-minding positive thinking person we don't we don't make ourselves heard as much as we should about that support and that um you know and and being willing to just stand up and say you know this abuse is wrong and i'm i'm against it we it doesn't so it's not part of the process yet or it's it's maybe becoming more so twitter has partnered with ap and uh, reuters to address misinformation on its platform so it's going to be working with associated press and reuters to understand how a news story is moving and the kind of how real journalists are, uh, are journalisting <laughs> to, to, to completely make up a word um and then use that as a barometer to understand its twitter platform and it, the the broadcast and, and what is being said on the twitter platform to understand whether it is ahead of the curve and therefore is well i say ahead of the curve that's not fair if it's reporting something that a, a journalist would be or would not report and it's going to use that as a kind of barometer for you know this is speculative this is not supported by science this is not supported by backup back up a bull another word that i'm pretty sure doesn't exist you're fine form uh, to do with all these <laughs> but you know what i love the language because i'm sure everyone can fully understand what i mean um so yeah justifiable um as in, and and provable so therefore it's a it's a good way for them to they're saying it's a good way for these these two organizations to sort of balance that out um and it's an interesting angle <clears throat> you'll i mean two organizations does that make the full barometer of what 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 really is news and what is provable what is justifiable but but it's it's certainly an angle i quite like the direction of but i'm not sure just two organizations is 
is the final end point. Uh, no, and so, and, I, and fun enough, because I looked at this and thought, finally, in some ways, because it's, and, and it's Associated Press and Reuters, so very well respected, seemed to, you know, I never really seemed to see people saying they're left or right of a story, the report in the news. Um, but I know there was some reaction that said, Where's the right wing sources in this? Where's the where's the balanced view? And that's the problem. Everybody wants a balanced view when it's even when it's wrong. So I so I, you mentioned science. So climate change to me is is one of the most obvious ones where the climate deniers are up in arms when their view's not heard because they believe that is that is the press working with governments um, to suppress their views. And it, and and I, I still go back to it's not it, the science is telling you that your view is wrong. But you still want your platform. That you're in that one, yeah. You, yeah. That you're in the one percent. Yet, yeah, but, you but still you, want but you to want be a 50-50 platform. You know, so I, I always criticise. Mm. You know, I love the BBC, but the one thing I criticise them on is this: we will have to be balanced. And it's like, well, I, I think you should be balanced if if it is a divisive topic or it is something that is, is debatable. But when it's something like climate change, when it's clearly, you know, it's clearly not up for debate anymore. What's happening? Um, I just think it's I just I just think it's shame on them that they feel they have to bring on a climate denier every time they're talking to somebody that is a climate scientist and just reporting here's what's happening and hear what the evidence is telling us. That is not balanced news. And if there's news, if there's a if there is a <clears throat> discovery which says that that one percent of thinkers actually that's becoming more prevalent as far as the science is backing up what they're saying more and more, then obviously you have to be. You have to be flexible on that. So also the direction of travel of news, I think, is important. Um, but 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 like you say, finding the right organisations that are trying to report news, some things are much easier than others too. There are topics which science does have an opinion on, but there are also topics that science does not have an opinion on, or it's very difficult or very easy to manipulate the data to show things one way or the other. So it's we don't live in a quantitative you know not everything is quantitative it's some of it's you know it's it's qualitative it's not it's not the same people do live different lives um and have different opinions and and whilst and twitter is a global thing right uh, yet we very much put the western view on it which is not the view of the world um and so we've again got to be careful that there's a little bit of you know uh, you know I guess it's almost because the technology belongs to the Western world, it's going to promote that side of life. But there are plenty of people that live in very, very different um, mindsets and ways of going about living, which you can't really justify and say is not right or wrong. Um, they just have a different view on the way the world works. And it's a really good, a really good angle I hadn't thought of is is understanding do the particular probably the Chinese, you know, apps and services, you know, big social media platform, have they got the same challenge? You know, is it something that so, so Twitter seems to suffer from it more. Facebook suffers from it greatly because Facebook have tried to do this hands-off approach of you're just letting people, you know, talk. Um, but but what you be seen as a news organisation? It's like well, you can't, you can't, you can't, <laughs> you can't have it both. Yeah. Facebook's argument is that we're just a road, and pe- how people drive down us is nothing to do with us. Uh, yeah, yeah but, but then I still look at the here's the top ten shared posts, and it's like you know, all through COVID, nine out of ten were COVID deniers. You know, it was like, and and that's. That doesn't reflect what the you know. If you just look at the vaccination rates in the UK, it clearly doesn't reflect reality of what's happening. But that's what was generating the most shares and generating the most traffic. So, I I, I do think they've got responsibilities to call that out and say you're talking rubbish. 
Interestingly, a next story is around uh, in Australia. The Sky News was banned uh, for from YouTube over COVID uh, misinformation. Um, so they were taken off. Was it a couple of weeks? They were taken Unfortunately, off. Unfortunately, they're only taking off for a week. Okay, so unfortunately, <laughs> so and this is this is how we, we talked to in the last story about how do you choose your news organization, which you choose, you know, to, which creates that you know barometer for where you are, where you're sitting against the story, um, because Sky News Australia were uh, removed because they there was uh, say COVID denial was part of the accusation as well as uh, the denial that the the beta variant um, was actually any more dangerous sorry the delta variant was any more dangerous than the original uh, and how you know you, you didn't need to get vaccinated and all those kind of things and and that's because a couple of their presenters were putting that forward and youtube took the the line that this contravenes our guidance which is that we shouldn't be putting out a uh, angle and news that contravenes what the medical community is saying there was also the i can't remember the name of the two um like supposed cures for covid that were being put around but again because the science doesn't yet back it up they were trying to minimize and and it was like i say cause of inaccurate information until the science can verify that these two solutions are are, are viable then they didn't want that on there and and sky news in australia was doing that um so yeah (laughs) <laughs> and the, and when the things I mean so it was a, I mean the, I I don't know the guy so it's a guy called Alan Jones he's described as a veteran presenter and didn't he used to be prime minister was that wasn't there an Alan Jones prime minister I can't remember um, was there we'll Google it afterwards yeah which means you're going to want me to Google it. I don't think it was because I would have thought they would have said ex prime minister and Sky presenter again it's not great podcasting is live Google's exactly. <laughs> But it's, a, so we'll but it's a skill I've developed over the years, Chris. The, um, <laughs> but, but it was the fact that they were saying, and an MP, both saying Delta not as dangerous as original and vaccines would not help. Clearly, you know, demonstrably false information. Um, so Sky's News website issued an apology. Um, the, the, the guy also had a, a column in the Daily Telegraph. That was ended. Um, and they've now since been reinstated and they've removed... Um, they've removed the content from their YouTube site as well. So this was a bit where initially they were saying this was, uh, um, it was, uh, what was it they said? Oh yeah, a disturbing attack on the ability to think freely. And this is a challenge I have around people saying it's a think freely thing. It's like, but you're, it's not thinking freely. You're spouting nonsense. There's a real difference between thinking freely. I mean, if they'd said, you know, if they wanted to talk about, we might have concerns around the vaccination. And that was right at the start, and there was no evidence. I can accept that, even though there's you know trials and all that good stuff. I can I can accept that, but to, to turn around and say Delta, you know, isn't you know not as dangerous as original. It's just you know you know how many countries do you need do you need evidence from? So it turns out he is a former radio pro- broadcaster, but he also coached the Australian national rugby union team. There you go. Uh, um, so he wasn't a prime minister. <laughs> what a cock! Not you, Probably not you, Alan Jones. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! COVID app in the UK has been tweaked. Uh, we were seeing like a seventy thousand uh, increase in the number of pinged cases on the application, so they've now reduced it. So instead of pinging you from the previous five days of contact, it will now only ping you from the previous two days. And the government are saying we're hoping that strikes a balance between. Uh, you know the 
the number of pings that need to be in a, a relevant versus people having to then be self-isolated and go into lockdown so um they're also trying to encourage people not to uninstall the app which was the other thing that was spreading widely whereas if, if i'm going to get i mean it's, it's one of those things isn't it we love having the app on our phone until we get pinged and if it's us that gets pinged it's frustrating if it's anyone else that gets pinged then they should comply uh, so there's that natural human reaction to it. There is, but yeah. if you're double vaccinated, you know, I think the impact, the impact of COVID, hopefully less, but also the impact around self-isolation less as well now. So I think we're in a different place to, I mean, you're right. I mean, I've got the app on, you've got the app on. If you'd been pinged a year ago, you'd have been like, oh, I'm now in the house for, you know, 10 days. And so, so is everybody else in there? And, you know, it's, but, but it's... I think they are talking about, you know, test to escape as, as it were isn't it yeah. so you get you locked down until you can provably say that you've had a test and everything's negative which is i guess is is the correct way to approach it right as like but i guess up until this point the capacity has been taken up by so many people getting tests that, yeah you know, and that, it's just but they haven't had it the good thing for me is that they've developed it in, in such a way that it can evolve easily you know and it can evolve as you know new variants appear or the vaccination rates improved you know so i still think you know, i still think the app was a ultimately a success after a rocky start yeah, yeah it was it's definitely a rocky start and i'm not sure i'd call it a, a, a true success but there we go it, it's it's uh, a difficult one because <laughs> it's it's the first time we've used something you know the sub, sub, first time the world used something like this to try and you know cope with you know disease in this way yeah yeah and maybe we'll we'll get off and running a bit quicker next time when they don't go off down a dead end that they got told was a dead end and they spend billions of pounds goes down that dead end Oh, if we, if maybe if we didn't have a Tory government. Anyway. Maybe. Google <laughs> Pixel 6 and Google P- Pixel 6 Pro has been... Hold on, Chris. Is that the ooh, end of all ooh. the kind of legally lawy <laughs> kind of spyware <laughs> stuff? Because it's like... It might be. I think we've turned a corner. We're on to gadgets and games. Gadgets. <sighs> Excellent stuff. Gadgets and games. Google Pixel 6 and Pixel 6 Pro. They've kind of released what we'll call a teaser more than an actual full announcement because whilst they've given some details about this new device, they haven't given full details about it. And and maybe that's because they're still trying to finalise some of it. Yet this device is Google's first attempt for a long while to try and get into the premium manufacturing and premium grade phone market. So we've seen with Pixels um, more recently that they've very much being this is what you need in a phone and nothing more um and yeah <laughs> put myself off now so this is what you need in a phone nothing more but this six device <clears throat> is now uh, they're kind of this is us representing a samsung fit phone or an iphone so it's premium quality uh, manufacturing and finish with high-end specs inside of it uh, and that's kind of all we know really we know they're doing software on a chip um but it's not a fully uh, Google manufactured process. There, there's some bits of their own, but they're also bringing in some license pieces. Um, but they are doing, um, you know, a couple of the internals. They're actually running their own silicon now and their own designs, which is uh, interesting take. Um, and you know, final bit before I sort of see what you think about these new handsets is they finally put a complete edge-to-edge bar on the back to. Instead of having uneven bumps for all the cameras on the back, they've they've kind of just it's almost like a a band that goes across the top of the thing, which means that your phone will sit flat on a, d- a desk and will not rock when you touch the screen as it's sitting down on the screen. I think we might see that more often, although it's not the prettiest thing in the world. <laughs> it looks like a phone with a Fitbit stuck across it. <laughs> it does look like a phone with a Fitbit clipped around it. <laughs> yeah, I uh, but 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 I think you're right. I think they've 
So we've seen Apple do this when it kind of always tried to kind of tuck the, you know, it tried to tuck the lenses away or it tried to hide them in some way. And then, like three, four years ago, just went, sod it. There's no getting away from it that we want it thinner and this is going to stick out. And also, vast majority of people put a case on it. So, so yep. you know, probably we'll see the same, you know, with the with the Pixel. Um, you'll see cases where it just all ends up being flat anyway. Um, It'll have the cutout. Yeah, I, I don't actually mind the design of it. And actually quite, I find it quite exciting that they have, because I, mean, I, I remember when you went Pixel, it was that, you know, fed up chasing the high-end Samsungs and high-end um, iPhones because of the price. And, and Google pretty much saying the same. They couldn't keep up. And they were saying, we can do something, don't want to say half the price. Well, probably was half the price. It was, even, even maybe even a third of the yeah, price. Yeah. But you'll get 80, 80%, 90% of the utility. You know, so so it's it's and it's one of those, it's always and for hard me, to measure. But That's for me, hit the absolute sweet spot. That's why I've been on Pixel for so long. Yeah. I don't want to spend a thousand pounds on a phone when I, you know, I don't feel the need to. But it looks like I'm losing one of my directions to get a good quality phone that is cheaper so in that respect I, I kind of understand it and and we have seen them move around right we've seen them go higher slightly higher spec google pixel 3 then they went to the 3 plus or whatever it was which was the kind of plasticky version of that and then they went to a slightly higher spec and so they've kind of been varying on little a little wave and i think this is now a, a higher peak but maybe we'll see the corresponding we'll have something else that will be a little bit cheaper and a little bit more uh, affordable and also the the kind of picking up and what i'm maybe wrong saying you know apple started it you know but the apple putting their own silicon on it um and really focusing on what it can do around photo processing you know so again google were really keen to highlight that you know <clears throat> here's a bloody photo but we can use this chip um, and just make it so much sharper and it's not something they can easily do sending it over the cloud and then sending it back again i think i think there's there's pros and cons of each different vendor's direction you know google was always like uh, we can do it all software cloud this is great apple not got the same cloud smarts and, and wanting to take a more privacy approach saying we do it all on the phone don't need to use all this and it was always like mm, which one's right i don't i don't either's neither's like the here's the you know the utopia it's a mixture of both, and there's both strengths and weaknesses in, in each approach. Um, so I, I'm actually really quite excited to see what Google brings. I'm kind of got tired of it really just being an Apple and Samsung world. And I know there's other vendors there, but they're just it's just not at the same level as those two. And the Pixel for me was always, you know, it was, it, I think Google described it themselves. This was like the, this is their, not flagship, but this was this is what a phone should do if you're running Android. And Samsung were always like, yeah, but we're going to add on all these bells and whistles and 20 lenses and screens that will curve and do all sorts. And We're going to have gestures above the screen, which no one's going to understand. Uh, yeah. So, so again, and again, really different approach because most things leak. And Google, instead of leaking it, just were like, here's a blog post. This is coming. Here's what it looks like. Here's what we want to tell you now. And see you later in a year. We'll tell you some more. Um, whereas Samsung have events and Apple have events and they tend to all leak anyway and you know most of it before it comes and talking of the Samsung events Samsung Unpacked happened and they've been pumping more and more foldables into our life so they are not they're, <laughs> they're not actually no, there's no new note being announced this year so that's their large sort of you know 
pen-driven device. But they have, say, updated their Z Fold. So their um, Z Fold 3 and their... Uh, and the and the, the I don't know there's, yeah the Z flip so the two they've got a kind of horizontal book a portrait book kind of folding one and then they've got a a vertical sort of old style clam flip up phone they basically they've had both these phones before they were still causing consumer device issues even they most of them were addressed by just giving people new devices every time they their old one broke but what they're doing with these new phones is adding thicker shielding to the very thin glass screens so that they they offer a more protection they're more sturdy <clears throat> and they will operate uh sort of better and for longer to give people what that what they consider their normal life of a product uh so and probably saving them a lot of cost in replacing uh, those two things but they're still pushing the flip so with now you you mentioned the other day to me and I, I agreed that I've never seen one of these in the wild um and actually someone using them so I wonder whether it's a bit of is this a bit of 3D TV scenario where is this something that manufacturers want to do because it's real funky technology and it really grabs the headlines but actually as consumers do we really need it it's uh, uh... Honestly, don't know. I, I, I am attracted to the idea of having a device that folds out to be bigger when you use it. And it's, I don't know, maybe it's an age thing because all, all the sci-fi we grew up on felt like that. These flexible displays, feels like paper. I do think there's something here that is, and it reminds me of a Samsung of maybe like seven, eight, nine years ago. Where remember they brought out every different form factor. There was like twenty different form factors they would bring out. Yeah, and so far that you just had no idea what year's worth phone and yeah. what year, you know what phone you'd bought. Really. But, but what was interesting about that is they were the ones that really drove the adoption of the big phones. Because I always looked at the big phones like nobody wants that big phone. But and we were wrong yeah. because it was really popular. And Apple was wrong. Apple was. It took Apple two or three years before they brought out yeah. an equivalent. It really, you know, Samsung just grabbed that market, and Apple were slow to respond. Um, and I think this is this is Samsung again saying we've got the technology. Yes, we've had issues in iteration one and two. We've made it better again. So, yes, it's still a plastic screen. Yes, you can still see the fold. But I'm amazed that the usually more like the tech journalists that actually get these and try them. There's quite a few actually find it as they're, you know what, I've used this for a year and had no big issue. It didn't break. Yes, you can go and break it easily if you want to. You know, So you'll we'll get loads of videos again where somebody will bend it backwards and it'll just snap. Or, you know, you can... You can Hack it where you know you'll get a somebody will take a knife and oh look I can put a scrape in it. Most folk don't do that with their phones. Um, it's the same with the, yeah. the bend gate all around the iPads and people going look at that I can bend it. Who do, do people really grab their? Yeah, don't take your thousand pound device yeah. and try and bend it like that. So, so but the they're they're talking about eighty percent stronger screen on on their and they're talking about it's like a thirty percent stronger hinge. So they've obviously worked out. Yeah kind of in usage and the real and the usage screen, that's roughly where they need to the be the screen strength is actually on the outer screen because you forget this has got an outer screen because so you, you see the screenshots and it's obviously folded but when you fold it it's got a it's got a screen on the outside so it looks like a, a yes yeah, so it's like phone. a normal phone on the yeah. inside yeah so I, as i said i think there's something compelling here they've upped all the stats the other bit that's interesting if you look at the and i'm and again great podcast but if you have the phone folded out you used to have the cut the cutouts for the cameras. Um, no cutout anymore, it's under the screen. Now, when you see it in close-up, you can see, like, pixel dots. 
But on a black image like that, there is no camera. You cannot see it. So they're doing some smart things in the technology. Samsung are always, um, I think, more aggressive than Apple. They'll bring something out even if it's not quite 100%, whereas Apple really want to, it needs to be 100% before they'll commit to something. But I... I think there's something. The only thing is expense. I mean, because it's got you know it's got seven eighteen hundred dollars. Yeah, I mean it's got the three screens in it. You know, it is, and there's and it's got lots of cameras. I think the little flip is a bit more compelling because it's like you said uh, the it reminds you of the old. For me, this is this is the perfect solution from the old flip out phones, which was it is po- it is properly pocket sized again, and now it's thicker. But that's never really a problem in your pocket to have something that's slightly thicker there. It's actually it's when you've got a massive. It's the it's the yeah. It's the like when you're sitting down, you can feel the pressure yeah, yeah. that the screen's under yeah. when you've got a sort of slightly bigger device. So, um, and there's no euphemisms going on at all <laughs> right now <laughs> but this is still a thousand pound device and what they've done actually so they've again this is the second device the they, they released this uh i think last year as well um but it's this like it is a really nice handy sized device uh, and on the front now they've actually increased the screen size that's on the front of that device by four times so it's actually a bit more useful than uh, you know developers will be able to interact with that a little bit more usefully and you can certainly show the time and date uh, a lot easier again you can see the fold once it's open but essentially what you're doing is you're folding a a standard size phone in half and and that's a really handy portable place for me and and so for me this is more compelling than the the the, the book opening ones which are sort of you know make a, a standard sort of size device into a, a tablety size device agreed you know so i look at that and also the, the to me they're leaning in now on the kind of colors around it there's like a keyring case so you can almost you know there's they're doing quite smart things i think and as you say you can see the fold in certain light i don't know you know the image we're looking at they've, they've taken it with a light across it and it's black so there's no screen on you wonder you wonder in reality would you see that as much i don't i don't know but, but, but for someone who's really precious about say watching videos on it maybe that would cause you a bit of inter you know yep. a bit of disturbance but no I, I i do i do think there's some and i think because of the price because of the size and i do I agree with you it's the it's the the height of the phones now that are a challenge for me not the not the width um so <laughs> yeah moving on galaxy watch <laughs> four um, so this is Samsung's moving away from their own um, Tizen operating sort of platform for their smartwatches. And they are now teaming much more closely with Google on just putting standard Google mobile. I can't remember the name that Google gives it, but, Google but essentially Google Wear. So Wear OS. Um, and so this is very much more standard. This is how the operating system we designed with the Samsung strength of putting some really good nice hardware behind it uh, and certainly the the visuals of it are compelling it certainly looks like it pops and it does all the things and when it's got a watch face on it that you know it really does look like just a standard watch on your wrist so from that perspective i see that as really good the i think my uh, being that i i just use i have a garmin smartwatch and it's obviously designed around sports and activity and and time and that's the kind of things i use it for whilst i can have notifications on it i don't use it for all those kind of things now you do use yours as a utility and an extension to your phone um and i'm wondering whether this sort of shows you that the 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 app the you know the the market of Google's marketplace is actually getting better and more refined. Yeah, yeah. The, the thing that I've always liked about the Google Android side of things is the round 
watch design. You know, Apple went for that square design and they've never changed it. You know, they're into their seventh or eighth year of this now. And I'd, I'd love Apple to turn out, a, you know, a round face design. It it does look good, yeah. and it it kind of just looks more natural, doesn't it? Because of that, and and they're like the watch faces. All I say, they just look more re- real to rather than a, a screen on your wrist, basically. Yeah, I, I think the other bit that um, I'll probably now struggle to find, but it's just the when you look at the kind of yeah. So it's it's what they've got in their um, their bioactive sensor, so optical heart rate, electrical heart rate, bioelectric impedance analysis sensor, so you can get. You know, the same stuff you get in Apple, but also blood oxygen levels and body composition. It'll also monitor blood pressure in certain markets, although not in the US. So again, it's back to that, you know, regulatory approval. Yeah. But it just shows you how how much competition there is now around. Because remember at first, Apple was, it's almost like trying to treat it as jewelry. And it, you know, it's almost like the market said, no, it's fitness and health. That's, fitness and health is the direction that, that's yeah. where you get the benefit of these things it's not round you know i've got a beautiful looking you know piece of jewelry it's it's all gold on my wrist so no i do and, and again i think you know the fact that they've went away from tizen and onto using um you know back to wear os it means that all the google apps are on it because that was always a challenge they were you know although although it tied although the tizen os tied back to your android device it was never truly you know, compatible. It wasn't that full no. yeah, compatibility. And we're talking, uh, starting sort of from 250 for the lower end models, going up to about $400 for the, you know, the full on um, with inbuilt sort of LTE and, and, and whatever. So you get a bit of mobile operating there as well. Um, so again, a kind of the kind of sweet spot around those devices, you know, because you'll get activity trackers that are, that come into that band as well. So it becomes compelling as far as you get some extra bits and bobs and it does tie with your phone and that kind of side of things as well as offering that kind of fitness and tracking capability uh, netflix are coming to get you with mobile games so if you are a netflix netflix subscriber they are going to let you have some mobile games as part of your subscription sort of bit turn left at the traffic lights isn't it but there you go it's it's what they're doing and i think it's they are hitting some sort of <laughs> That you know, Netflix is so prevalent now that they're finding it's hard to struggle by expanding by numbers. Uh, so now they're looking at other ways they can expand their service, and and, and games seem to be the what, what they've gone down. Yeah, I thought it was a bit of a strange one as well. And maybe they're maybe it's back to because streaming gaming has you know, it looks like you know, Sony, Microsoft have got it cracked. You know, maybe they see that as a is that a threat to their streaming dominance that, that eyeballs are getting taken away from their platform? It's just a, I don't know, it just felt a strange one where, you know, they are they are such a dominant streaming, you know, you know, content streaming platform. And clearly Disney Plus is gaining and Apple's gaining and Amazon's gaming. So they're they're seeing everybody almost try to eat their lunch now. But it just feels I don't know. Are they really going to launch something that's that compelling that they'll get? They will actually tip them over the balance. But what's interesting for me is that their revenues are still heading north. So they were about nineteen percent higher than the previous year uh, in the month uh, months of June. Um, but the profits are down from one point three five to one um, down from one point seven down to one point three five billion. So 
We're not talking small amounts of money, but investors are getting itchy because they haven't met their subscriber goals. So the number of extra subscribers they want to see hitting their system and their platform has not happened. So again, investors getting itchy and that's what reduces the value of your company. So I guess that's where it's being driven from. It's just, where do we go next? When, when we're starting to run out of people on the planet Earth that can subscribe to our service, where do you go after that? Well, games is their, is their punt, I guess. Only time will tell. I, I don't know. It just feels to me that we'll have an article in a year, 18 months' time that says I've abandoned gaming. I agree. Quest 2, the Oculus Quest 2, uh, has had some recalls after some headset pads caused some uh, rashes, as they're calling them, um, but obviously some quite bad rea- reactions to on very limited number, but some people had to go and have attention uh, to to. You know, effectively is causing them skin burn um so they said there's only 45 incidents that have needed medical attention yet what they've done is recalled those pads so they can give them i think little sort of covers so they, that, that whatever it is that's causing people to get that rash it can sort of sit inside a little cover that then prevents that yeah and i know a lot of, a lot of, there's a big third party market for you know better covers and you know better you know better you know comfort more comfortable um padding so i think that's a that's a thing but um you know at least i've come out and done it and um, it, it relaunches from the 24th of august and another thing that they're, they're doing is the lower quest model will have double the ram in it now or double the storage i should say so instead of the 64 gig it's 128 i think the bigger one is still the same size so um so yeah it's um i mean the quest quest is still just, a compelling offering I, I, I i'm still tempted but then I have the my usual foible of if I don't buy it in the first month or two, I think it's old. So it's old because it's a yep. year old. <laughs> and you're always thinking, when's the next one out? Yeah. It might be just around the corner, especially if they're trying to bump the bump the specs just before to keep their sales going. Yeah, and and but but maybe it's there seems to be a bit of a kind of you know, there is a bit of a peeing contest between you know Apple's alleged you know we are going to bring something out. And I know Facebook were like, eh, we're confident we are market leaders. We we don't feel threatened by them. So we'll see. But we'll bump up the memory anyway. Yeah. So uh, so a couple we a few games we've been testing out on Microsoft Game Pass recently. Um, in the kind of beta phases, one of them um was uh, sort of left the latest Left for Dead. What's I can't remember back, its blooming back, name back now. Back for Blood. Back. Back for Blood beta, which we were playing last night. Uh, zombie apocalypse type game. We'll talk about that very briefly. But also the bigger one for us was the ability. We took part in a Halo Infinite flight um, of their bot multiplayer environment. So it's player versus bots in a in a sort of a Slayer scenario. So let's quickly talk Back for Blood, which we uh, sort of raced through last night. And... Uh, I think my summary, and I, I think you were headed in the same direction, was this is what happens when you put an old game in a slightly newer engine, but not a state-of-the-art engine, and just say, right, it was good enough before, it'll be good enough again, because it just felt a little bit old. It just felt like a remake. It, felt, it honestly felt like, a, and, and not a remake where it brought you anything you know, particularly new. It was um, the same, you know, it was like, there's four characters... Different sets of weapons, um, but the maps, the scenarios, the the, the routes similar. you were going through, yeah, there's some of them were almost not copies, but they were certainly yeah, you know, very. I mean, similar. there was the one one we did last night where you kind of walked walked almost out onto a, a ferry, 
And I remember, I still remember there was one where you had to get to a boat and the boat could disappear without you. And, oh, and you were following the train tracks. But I guess yeah. there's only so many zombies. You would you would do things like follow train yeah. tracks. So I guess there's scenarios. But but it's very railed in, you know, very, as you can imagine in a game like that, it has to be, it's supposed to be like that as well. It's supposed to be a controlled effort. And the whole point is that you can play it multiple times because the the scenarios all change depending, you know, yeah. it's a bit of algorithm and, driven. And to be fair, levels. I mean, we were, we were playing with another chap who was um, very helpful, except Chris ignored him. Um, That's because I can hear. <laughs> but there was um, we there was a few moments where there was like, oh crap, I've been grabbed by you know you, you know those people shot. You were like, I oh, know what's that? You know, so there was a couple of you know moments where it was, uh, and I, and it's on Game Pass, so we will end up we will end up inevitably playing it. But it just felt it felt you know just devoid of anything new and. Be... There was, there, I think we were stuck between Jeopardy. So I think we had it too easy most of the time, which, as in it was too easy to just run through, which meant that when the serious situations did arise, um, it was it felt frustrating that we were then, you know, not able to make it way through. So we did play it at the lower levels, and maybe it's got some more compelling reasons to play slightly harder so that you pay attention more. But equally, I didn't like the control method very much. I thought the auto aim and the auto ADS lock on was uh was a little bit too powerful so i might again try that with those set much much lower i tried to bump them down but i i think maybe turning them off might give you that more feeling of i'm actually involved in this process i'm not just pressing buttons which yeah. I, I know computer games are all me pressing buttons but there i need to feel like there's at least something there, was, there that there i'm doing to, bits, to assist yeah there's a couple of bits last last night when it felt like it was like you know, almost like the quick time events from shenmue where it was just like uh just press b button at the right time and i'll do this really complex thing and it was just like yeah. I'll just hold in a trigger, and it'll. It, it was like shooting all these zombies. And it was like no, and it, and it's weird because the so Guardian um, today had the best, you know, the best fifteen games from the noughties, and the first one was Left 4 Dead. You know, it came out in, and it was brilliant. Came yeah, out like, in two thousand eight, and just when you look at it, you know, the game's clever artificial intelligence system. The director varied the numbers and ferocity of enemies as well as the lighting and music, depending on the skill and the strategies of the players. Um, so so that was its you know thing. It always. You never felt it was an easy game. You know, it, it really seemed to kind of keep up with you as a skill. And sometimes we'd get through things by the skin of our teeth. Other things we'd yeah. be really pleased at how we'd got through it. And other times we'd get absolutely wiped out. There was a, it never felt. Yeah, rage quit was always part of it. Yeah, it never, it never felt like you could just, you know, squish it. Um, and it was unpredictable. You know, you'd walk around a corner think, well, I know. And you're just like, oh, those baddies have now moved. So it's it's got potential, but just I just thought, hmm. For me, when we opened up into that opening area and there's a, a limp flag uh, oh, in a model cool. just trying to pretend to flap in the wind, it, again, it just doesn't... Is it trying to be real? Is it trying to be stylistic? And it got lost in between those two for me. Yeah. But, yeah, we also played Halo Infinite. And um, so this is the first experience that general public basically have got to or had to play some of the Infinite game. Uh, and we certainly hammered it over last... Was it last weekend or maybe the weekend before that? Um, I think it's two weekends ago now. And to see what it was like. And I certainly drew some opinions and I'll, I'll, I'll start with mine where, uh, you know... Firstly, I like the fact that the game felt heavy and uh, the gunfire felt, you know, substantial and the movement felt, you know, reasonably good. I was less enamoured. I thought the the graphics and game engine didn't leave me falling over with that's pure beauty uh, and the pop-up and, you know, uh, item pop-up and pop-in was 
very prevalent still, which is something that sort of came out from the original showings on the demo. Uh, yeah, I could still see that this was Halo and they were doing things like removing some of the shoulder barge and um, sort of ground pounds, things like that from the Halo 5, which ends up just frustrating you when you play because it feels unfair. Uh, I do miss the boost button though, so it hasn't got uh, little sideways boosts anymore to get out of the way of trouble, and and I certainly miss those. But equally, that just adds a, you know different layer of challenge. So I was happy to see that I think there was something in there that uh, was was good. I uh, and I'm looking forward to playing human on human. We didn't get to experience that over the weekend, so uh, that's still to come. Um, but but overall, I, I think we'll be all right. I am a little bit worried that this is. This is going to be our Halo for for a good few years now, and I'm not sure that the level of polish and fidelity and and skill, uh, sorry, you know, stylism stylism is there from Halo Five. Really was a very solid game, although it had some downsides to it. I'm not sure that it's going to outperform Halo Five. For me, for me, it gave me a reassurance that the important bits are there. So the so the the gameplay solid. You mentioned that that heaviness, and it was. It was a really nice feeling to the weapons. It felt like you had to be accurate, and we did see people putting videos up where, you know, that 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 kind of aiming. I'm not saying auto aims sitting in Halo Five, but it does certainly help you. Um, and it was clear from the sniper that if you're a millimeter off by the head, it wasn't hitting, and if you then hit on the head, it, it hit. So there was a there was a nice solidity to that. I thought the aiming was fine. I actually preferred losing some of that you know sprinting around in the sprint i think was it somebody said it was only two percent or four percent faster than just normal walks it's 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 really it's a real you know it's not exaggerated at all um the grappling hook we got to experience and i think that is really going to you know just add a layer of not what i quite like about that that adds some of that mobility right without actually meaning it's permanently there you only have it for a very set period of time and, and not it's everybody going to be an interesting it, way you know so it's yeah. like it's not like everybody starts with it and everybody's you know bouncing around the map there'll be just certain things um so yeah i, I was i was overall pretty positive i agree with you so there was some bits graphically you were like oh it shouldn't really be doing that or it's you know why is it why is it looking so there was just a sharpness about some of it and some of the graphics just there was the shimmering yeah, and this weird movement that yeah. was happening it, is, it looked like anti-aliasing had to have been turned off yeah uh, which and, caused and, the and problem when I, and when I, I just think you know if you're putting this out as your as your flight your first flight that i guess everybody's seen and to be fair it has been universally you know accepted and and people are pleased with it you know there's you know the negativity around it was really small and, and Compared to you know, go back to twenty twenty Z three, and it was like, oh geez, that looks. Well, I think immense. people overreacted a little bit, but uh, well, because uh, some of those edges are still there, so, the, some that of those pop edges in are, and that pop up, and the, yeah. even the fact that the loading screen, the first thing you're hit with mm. when it first loads up onto the screen, I know it's a beta, but this is not really a beta. In that we were talking about this as well, this is something that they were should have released like half a year ago. Yeah. So the fact that we've got a loading screen that doesn't work we've got results screens that you can't read the text on is yeah. feels and, and like oh my god what were you going to release and that's, and that's what i was going to touch on so the, the even in the flight notes it said you know you will be sometimes paired with only three people not paired but you'll you know the matchmaking doesn't fully work and we're working hard to resolve it and it's like that's these are fundamentals that you know i'm not not saying are game breakers but would be really frustrating if every second third game you joined 
and you're always one down because you're just you're just going to lose most of those games. Um, and as as you said there, and I was going to call it out, the scores were just it was just like this isn't hard. This is about a CSS editing. It's a two minute job to go and tweak those colours. We had white on slightly duller white on a slightly duller white, and you couldn't see the scores. It was like, why are you making this so hard? This is yeah. this is a so really that, easy thing to fix. Uh, uh, and and that's like they 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 did they emphasized that this was a two month old build so that you know you can move a long way in two months but what worries me is like i say that they, they were due to release this six months ago and it's like i'm glad you didn't because you were not ready and, and i know we had all that kind of talk around maybe they'll release the campaign but not the multiplayer and i think that lots of this is the reason why um that they're still you know there's still an argument that are they going to be ready for uh, whenever they've said it's going to come out, is it later this year, isn't it? it, it all, all they've said is this year. So it's a, it was strange yeah. when you see, um, and, I, and I still I think it still shows that they're up against it because when you look at um, the fact of name dates all the way through to next April, but they won't release a Halo date. And I and I can understand that they don't they I mean the worst thing for them would be to release something that still had scoreboards that you couldn't read. It just reeks of amateurism right yeah. they need to make some polished and levels beyond where we were seeing it in the in the, in the you know the in the flight yeah and the challenge for them college a which is just a behemoth uh, and the the battlefield game this year looks you know they do look amazing pretty nailed on and again there was private beaters of battlefield over the last sort of two three days and it's it's come out you know people going this is fantastic you know so they've They've got competition, and I think that's Halo's challenge. I mean, it's, it's good competition, even it's. So we have said for what years, you know, Xbox hasn't had its first part of games, um, and they've probably got too many, potentially released in November. They've got Forza coming out, which it's is very busy, which is looking fantastic. Um, you're already in that winter rush of just lots of behemoth games, you know, FIFA, you know, COD, Battlefield, you know, big big titles, and up pops a Halo as well. It's a it's a challenge because you'll want to and again for the multiplayer which is where for me I'm most interested in um, that's where you've you know, got you need that big community and this and so you know some of the strengths of what they're, they're is it Frostbite Engine they're calling it um, is clearly they wanted to make it uh, I think I've just no it wasn't Frostbite, Frostbite I think that's, Frostbite, that's very Frostbite much Frostbite's Battlefield wasn't that the, Engine yeah okay yeah. All right. so, yeah. so not that <laughs> so um some of the benefit of their engine is they're supposed to be able to make these massive open world games that you can walk through and it, it loads itself nicely in and, and off you go and it feels a seamless transition. But the problem is multiplayer is where the game exists beyond, uh, you know, that's where it lives for a long time. Uh, and at the moment, that's I don't think the engine really does play as strongly, especially when you think someone like Playground Games can come up with a whole UK environment for for Horizon 4 or, you know, uh, the new one, the Forza Horizon 5, they're making a massively expansive, seamless engine end-to-end for a car racing game that arguably looks better and more solid than than the the Halo engine does with the Halo world. Um, Slip Space is the name of their engine. Thank you. There you go. I think that's um, pretty much us done, isn't it? I, I, I don't want to be too down on it because I thought there's definitely enough here that I'm going to be enjoying Halo now for the next however many yeah, years yeah. this thing and, survives, and, you know? So. And the three maps you brought out, you know, so there was three maps for that first flight and there was enough for it. I mean, because we were disappointed with the first one when you went back to Halo 5, you were like, 
my god it's yeah when you go and look at the basic. detail levels and yeah um, it's, i still see new stuff whenever we play halo 5 which is very regularly and i see new bits of movement you know all the time it's amazing what's in that but game. the next the next two maps i think i did there was definitely you know there was better and different lighting there that that shows it's got i think i mean I, as i said the bit the bit for me was the gameplay felt felt really good um and have taken away some of the, I think, and the annoyances that we've maybe seen, you know, we're still seeing Halo 5. I think us old folk are going to suffer with the lack of aim assist, though. Bring it. <laughs> yeah. Bring it. Okay, I am going to suffer with the lack of Bring aim it. assist, for sure. Anyway, that is it for today. Uh, if you want to talk about, well, if you want to watch what we do, see what we do, Kate, well, my my brain has now dead. We're definitely over the hour, aren't we? Uh, digitaloutbox.com is our website that you can go to. You can email us info at digitaloutbox, and we're on Twitter at uh, digitaloutbox. And I'm on Twitter as cheesyuk. Ian, where do we find you? Uh, iandeck.com. Lovely. Um, we will speak to you again in the near future. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>